Um, okay, so welcome, family. This is part two of uh, the um, uh, the LGBTQS um, as straight allies meeting. Um, so for those who are not partial to part one, we'll put the link for that um, in the chat. Um, that was about a month ago. So my mom um, refers to the, my community as the, as the alphabet people. She always says the alphabet people because all these letters keep getting added here and there and whatever. And she's always asked what those mean, what they stand for. And so I got this idea in my head. It would be kind of neat if we um, would um, have a meeting and um, talk about these things and, and what the representation is and just how people uh, adapt in society and the community inside and outside the rooms of recovery. Um, so that's where the idea sprung from. And uh, and then I, I asked a couple of people if they'd be interested and boom, it's amazing what happens when you just ask a simple little question. So, um, so this is um, part two of the series, and I'm going to turn the meeting over uh, to the chair for the rest of uh, this meeting. And I just want to thank everybody very much um, for their openness, their vulnerability, um, their um, transparency um, with all of this and, and talking with us and sharing with you. So on that note, um, I hope everybody enjoys the meeting. And Tracy, it is all yours. Where did Tracy go? Oh, Tracy's muted. Here we go. Thank you, Marsha. It would help if I unmuted myself, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, Marsha's my sister from another mister, as I call her. I appreciate you letting me be a part of this, and uh, I appreciate all of you being here. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing, so let's just throw some shit against the wall, see what happens, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm uh, going to speak for a minute, uh, give you a little piece of my story. Uh, I won't take forever because uh, nobody has that much time and you'll all just fall asleep anyway. It's not that exciting. Uh, I'm a legend in my own mind, uh, but outside of that, you know, I'm just a ra regular everyday average addict, alcoholic. Um, grew up in Cleveland, Ohio here and uh, born and raised and... Uh, Sexuality to me was uh, always awkward, which I think it is for everyone. You know, as I've talked to people and learned around, listened to people talk, you know, at that young age, uh, it's it's awkward for everybody. We kind of have an idea about ourselves, I think, but we're too young to understand it. You know, af absolutely for me was the situation. Um, it was confusing, and uh, I never was put into any box or anything um, heterosexual was the way I grew up and uh, but as I grew up and I got older and I learned more you know it became more fluid and um, I like to use that there's a uh, uh, there's a bisexual activist her name's Robin Oaks and uh, she says I call myself bisexual because I acknowledge that I have in myself the potential to be attracted romantically or sexually to people of more than one gender, not necessarily at the same time, and not necessarily in the same way, and not necessarily to the same degree. And that fits for me, you know. Um, so that works, you know, and that's that's where I am today, you know. But each day is different. You wake up every day and you might get more information and it may change to something else. And it's cool with me, you know what I mean? I, I'm open that way, you know. And I'm open around people who are that way. 
you know I never had a problem with any of the alphabet people <laughs> as 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 mom says you know uh and I don't necessarily have a letter in that alphabet you know maybe b might be I might be closer to the b I guess but otherwise I don't have a letter so and uh I'm just like just don't be a dick you know I'm good with that help somebody else don't be a dick and I'm I'm good you know I get up every day and uh I don't have a morning routine. My lead in, in the our topic in my AA meeting this morning was about routines. And we talk about getting up and reading. And when I was in traditional AA, I'm, in, I'm an agnostic atheist right now, but that's where I am today. And that's probably where I'll be until I die, but unless some of the proof comes out, but um, some other evidence, excuse me, comes out, that's where I'll be. Um, but I, I wake up in the morning, my routine is to take care of my animals, you know, have some coffee try to let my brain boot up, you know, which takes a while. I'm not a morning person. And, uh, and, you know, that's my routine. It's very simple. Don't drink today. Don't get high today. Even if my ass falls off, you know, that's it. Uh, go to meetings, talk to somebody in the program, maybe read some materials as I go along, share some of my experience, strength and hope, what little I have, you know, my sobriety dates, uh, July 1 of 1991. And uh, I have very little experience. Uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just whatever little pieces I've grabbed along the way that kept me sober. I'll just keep doing those, you know, and they kind of come out as I go along. I really can't sit here and ramble off a list of things, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just organic like that. So uh, that works and that works for me. I don't do it all right. I don't get everything right. I'm a work in progress constantly. I'm always learning and I love always learning. I love self-help and uh, podcasts, books, you name it. That's what I do. That's my jam. So um, I don't have a ton to share as far as that goes. That's pretty much the gist of it. I'm better in a one-on-one situation than I am sitting in front of a group of people talking. It's just not my thing, you know? Uh, So if that's cool, I'm going to go ahead and move this thing along and get some people in here who really will give you some information. Um, So with that, I'm going to ask Julianne to uh, come up on the stage here and uh, preach some knowledge to us. Are you ready? No, not at all. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead. Not at all? You want me to go Um, a little longer? I I do. Um, I'm an alcoholic Uh, and an addict with a problem called Juliana and we all here know where I got that from and I shamelessly stole it or adopted it from her. Thank you so much Marsha for allowing me to use your trademark. Um, Yeah and I'm here to just be me tonight I guess which includes among other things that as I said I'm an alcoholic and an addict and what else it includes is that I'm one of these alphabet people as Marsha's mom has crescent them so beautifully um yeah a little bit about myself I don't want to get too much into war stories because there's really absolutely nothing about drinking or drug using that I could teach any of you <laughs> many of you have been better at that anyway because I was never a well-functioning alcoholic or addict 
Um, and yeah, a little bit about myself, why I qualify as one of the rainbow people is um, I am bi or pansexual. I now call it pansexual because my attraction doesn't stop for any gender. Um, and I also um, call myself either gender non-binary or gender non-conforming or sometimes gender fluid or sometimes even two-spirited depending on the day and how I feel about it. Um, and a bit about my backstory. Um, I was born in yesterday, 32 years ago, actually. And it's something to celebrate for me. Thank you very much because I did not expect to live this long at all. And there were many times when it didn't look like I would. I got sober um, three years and nine months ago. Um, I stopped drinking on the 21st of September, 2018. And I stopped using on the uh, 4th of October, the same year, 13 days difference between those two days. So my sobriety date is the 5th of October um in 2018 and a little before that that summer I had turned 28 and I was thoroughly shocked that I had ditched the club of 27. I did not expect to outlive anything past that not because of the fame and glory for like artists and musicians and movie stars or anything like that simply because my horizon of what I was gonna do with my life and what my life was gonna be like kind of stopped at 27. So when I turned 28, I thought, oh my gosh, I might have to do this another 60 years. What the hell do I do? It was also um, my 28th birthday, um, the start of my last spree. I had stayed sober for a couple of months and uh, at that point for a really important job for me that I really loved and really wanted and thought was going to give me everything I was looking for. It was going to be my fix and it was going to fix me. And I had a couple of more weeks left on that job as a research assistant, which I thought was so glorious because one of the things I'm addicted to is academic endeavors and uh, degrees and things like that and education and trying to prove to the world with letters behind my name that I'm something. Um, and before I could finish the job, I picked up again because I couldn't keep going. The anticipation, the stress, the anxiety, everything was too much. There's this part in the big book where it talks about that, that before a really important day, we would pick up and that's exactly what happened. And it started my last horrific spree. Um, and there was nothing left for me to hold on to. Uh, I was already divorced at that point. I was far away inside and in the way also outside from my family. And I had no network whatsoever to keep me from sliding and falling further and further down. It led a couple of weeks later within that spree to um, a sexual assault. And you would think it would be my bottom, but it wasn't. Um, 
I just kept digging and digging and digging until my boss at the Irish pub I worked at because I liked working in places where I could drink the way I wanted and where it was accepted. But I had switched. I had pretended that dropping out from that research assistant job was my choice and it really was the alcohol's and the drugs choice. Um, but I couldn't admit and face up to that at all. And um, so I had switched to that working at that Irish pub and tiny Irish woman who was my boss there, the kitchen chef, told me how she got sober two and a half years earlier and how it had changed her life. And I had a mad crush on her. So I thought I was gonna really impress her by trying that too. <laughs> and so I went ahead over to the sink at the bar, pulled out my very last GNT I ever had. It was like having an out of body experience looking at myself doing that. Cause I couldn't believe I was doing that. I had never ever in my life pulled the drink away. I had always been the person drinking with other people, wondering how they could leave half, in, half a pint at the bar or on the table and just up and leave when they'd paid for it. And when they hadn't gotten everything they wanted out of that half pint that was still sitting there was complete miracle to me. And I thought they had somehow figured out this mad crazy thing of willpower that to me was just a mystery and if I tried hard enough I would get it too when the truth is never in my life have I been able to drink like a lady or to do drugs like a lady and yet I really really wanted that and I thought well if I cut out the drink I can keep my favorite drugs so that's why I came to, a, to my first AA meeting the English speaking group here in Freiburg where she brought me to um, Never mind what happened with that with that lovely lady. Uh, there no relationship developed from that, even though I really hoped it would, and that she would be really impressed with all my efforts to um, stay sober and be sober and all of that. But she gave me a much better gift, I suppose, which is she introduced me to this wonderful program um, that we can all call home and that we can all call family two things I've been lacking since sometime in my early childhood. Um, and I, well, in the beginning, I just went along with it all because I didn't know how to stay sober by myself and how to stay clean by myself. And so what I did was I started in 1990, I got myself a sponsor, which I was so out of control. I wanted somebody to take charge of me, which is, I just did my fifth step this week and six and seven as well. And so during my fifth step, one of the things I could see in my fourth step was that I like other people to take charge and to dominate because I don't, I want to abdicate my responsibility for things. So I gave the reins of my life over to that sponsor. It was the biggest, baddest, meanest, um, let's call her witch in the room that I could find. And I can tell you that was not the wisest choice to pick as my first new higher power, but that was all I knew how to do. So that's what I did. And then 
I went along, I cooperated, but I hadn't, and I could admit at some point then also, because I wasn't an alcoholic until I started coming to the rooms, of course. You all turned me into one. Um, but I admitted I was an alcoholic, but I didn't accept it. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody. I could admit that I had this problem and I could admit in a way that I couldn't drink, but I still had the fantasy somehow that maybe, maybe that would somehow lead me up until um, a couple of months ago, because at one and a half years of sobriety, I fired that sponsor who wasn't a great higher power. I also hired all my higher powers that I had tried out up until that point. I also tried the group as a higher power and some other things. Mm, tried God as a higher power, but as somebody who'd been raised extremely religiously, which is not fun when you're not straight in the religious circles you're running are telling you something seriously wrong with you. And if you admit it to anybody, you're probably gonna burn in hell or something. And you're not going to join your that little sister in heaven and see her again. So that was something that back then, as a child and as a teenager, I simply kept quiet about. Even though a couple of months ago, my mother told me that at seven or eight years, I came home from school and I told her I'd fallen in love with a class named mate named Mandy, and that should maybe have been a telltale. Um, but yeah, so I fired the sponsor. And I'm not just an alcoholic and an addict, I'm also a compulsive eater. And I joined another fellowship for that. And I mostly just did that for quite a while because I thought, well, I've arrested, I, right? I've arrested the drinking and the drug use. So I'm now gonna turn to my other big problem that has gotten completely out of hand. And I'm gonna arrest that one now as well. I, 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 me, 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 right? I'm the one who can do that. And I seriously at that point thought that I was the one who had been doing that all the time. And so I went out there being the dry drunk that I was, not understanding why I couldn't get abstinent in that other program and why I was completely crazy and why my life was still a, still a complete car crash and shit show all the time. Still making all the wrong choices for all the wrong reasons all the time zero emotional sobriety of course the only thing I had was I didn't drink and I didn't do drugs and for a while that was enough to hold on to but at some point it wasn't anymore I actually wanted a life and a good life and I wasn't going to stay if I wasn't going to get it without looking at what work I was putting in which was zero I wasn't doing steps I wasn't working as a sponsor I wasn't praying, meditating or doing anything. I wasn't reading the literature. I was maybe sometimes listening to a speaker tape and that was about it, right? And so big surprise, only going to meetings wasn't sufficient to give me a psychic change, a full on transformation. Mm, it's a little bit like going and sitting in a garage and waiting to turn into a car. It weirdly doesn't happen. You actually have to drag your ass to the AA repair shop and start working on that thing that you are and see if you can fix it. Um, so a couple of months ago, because of my food problem, 
I found a sponsor. And then it turns out she's not just a food addict like I am. She's also an alcoholic and an addict. And then she gently asks me if I want to join this mums in recovery group and want to go to some AA meetings there with her. And I'm thinking, no way I'm going to do that. A, I'm not a mum, not even to any fur babies anymore. And B, I was still so mad and angry at AA. It was the last thing on my mind. But the one thing I thought was I could use some fellows, I could use some company, I could use some interaction, I could maybe leave my isolation that I'd been in for so, so, so long. And maybe that would help me get out of my suicidal ideations that I regularly sunk into um, in sobriety. And so I thought, oh gosh, I'm just gonna give it a try. And it turned out to be one of the best gifts anybody could have given me. I'll never be able to pay that back. So now I'm just gonna try to pay it forward. Um, because there were newcomers and constant relapses in that group. And only when I started interacting and working with these people in meetings and listening to them, did I realize how close I was to taking my first drink again and to opening that door back up. There had been some changes in my house share. A couple of new people had moved out. A couple of new people had moved in. That was always so socially awkward and so, well, so just a complete train wreck when it comes to social interactions that I couldn't do anything without liquid courage. And I thought, ah, oh, I could maybe drink to get to know them. This would be so much easier. Not remembering I can't drink like a lady, no. But then I started talking to them and listening to them and something clicked and I was like, oh my God the drinks in the room have started talking to you again so loudly that you can't listen to any other conversations that are going on. So when I entered the group, I started coming back to meetings, I found a home group and I started giving service again. And all these, and I started working with steps and all these things together. I can't tell you which one of those works. I really can't. I can tell you that doing all of them somehow so far seems to work. Um, and so now I'm at that point where I've done my step seven Thursday, I did my step five. One of the things that was on that list of resentments was a resentment against the principle, a limiting self-belief that I had, which was that I'm not a good enough queer person, not good enough sexually queer, not good enough gender queer and I'm also somewhere on the polyamory spectrum, definitely not good enough in that because I thought if I'm not good enough at projecting it to the outside world through either my choice of partner or my choice of clothing and branding myself to the outside world or my activism or anything like that, that then I'm not loud enough at being me. And doing that fourth step and then that fifth step has now convinced me that all I need to do is be exactly me whatever that is and however I am as loudly or as quietly as I choose to be and I do not have to defend those choices to absolutely anybody so if I want to color my hair now it's very faded 
pink and blue, I can do that. If I want to shave my head again, as I have in the past, I can do that. If I want to wear a suit, a tailored suit, I can do that. And if I want to, like today, I want to wear a dress, I can do that. Because I'm allowed to just be me and not be judged and not have to explain myself to anyone. And the only person I ever had to convince of that was probably the one sitting right in front of you, the one who's going to, I think, shut up now and hand it back over to Tracy. Thank you all for listening and letting me share and having me. Thank you very much, Juliana. Well, that was great. Um, okay, who we have up next? Corey. Okay, Corey. He's in the house. Would you like to come I out? Am. I am here out. and I'm available uh, and start now. Go for it. All right, cool. Hi, everyone. My name is Corey. I'm an alcoholic. I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. And I have a home group. It is the Lopsided Triangle Group. We meet on Sundays at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, sorry for you East Coasters that don't like to stay up late. Um, it's been a contentious issue in our business meeting uh, that has never gone anywhere. Um, I, I have a sobriety date. It's September 21st, 2012. Um, and first of all, thank you, Julianne. I, I really enjoyed your talk. I was like, wow, why, why am I the, like, why am I the main thing? Like, that's silly, but okay. <clears throat> um, and I am very, very mixed race. Um, like my mother is Japanese, Chinese, and Hawaiian. Um, my dad is Irish and Polish. Um, uh, so I, <laughs> I've experienced a lot of like, why am I here? Right. Like what, I mean, like world war two, right. Like, and ugh, there's that. Um, but like, really, why am I here? Like when I get invited to speak in BIPOC spaces, I'm just like, are you sure you don't want someone that's more BIPOC than me? Um, and when I get invited to uh, speak in queer spaces, I'm like, don't you want someone that's like more outwardly queer? Like with, so I was really relating to that, Julianne, because I, I was like, I, I've always not identified with like the super flamboyant expressions of uh, sexuality and gender, um, which I'll get into in a little bit. But um, not that I think that it's bad in any way. It's just like, um, it was hard for me to like reconcile that with my, um, with my identity and my gender expression or lack thereof and my sexuality. Um, but I also, happen to be someone who is an alcoholism haver. Um, and I am someone who is incapable of drinking in any kind of way that would uh, promote the growth uh, and accomplishments in my life. Um, I got sober at 24. So like, if you do some quick math, uh, I am 34 now and I uh, am nine years sober. Uh, and if I don't drink or don't die for a couple months, I could be 10 years sober. Um, and I, I was raised by two adult children of alcoholics who have never sought any kind of treatment for uh, that. Um, and so there, that, that's a fun one. Uh, I grew, my, my dad is a guitar teacher um, and has had, had, he's had one job his entire life teaching guitar. And my mother just retired from teaching elementary school. I have two younger sisters. One is a, um, 
a Jeep driving chiropractor lesbian. Um, and we get all, and of course the Jeep is a stick shift, of course. Um, and my youngest sister has been openly bisexual since uh, like, I've, since she started dating. Um, and then I've always been in this weird ambiguous territory that I've now embraced as like the void of my gender expression and my sexuality. Um, but I, from, from the start, I was never, I, I came up in a lot of like the punk scenes, like skating punk. Um, Cause when someone, at, when I tell someone that I like am from California, they're like, did you surf? And I'm like, no, I lived in San Jose, we skated. Like skateboarding was the thing, right? Um, so it was skateboarding and punk rock. And um, like, I never really, identified with people who talked about drinking any kind of high-class alcohol or the glamorous experience of that in some kind of upper middle class way. Um, because the glamour for me was like, oh, I am drinking a 40 ounce of malt liquor in a porta potty, like <laughs> at the, right? Like, um, or I am doing heroin in the punk venue bathroom. And that was like my, my experience. I remember one time um, there was a, I was at a punk show in San Francisco and like, it's really uncomfortable to be the person doing heroin in the punk show bathroom because people are like knocking on the door and you're like, ah, I don't want to get blood all over the place, but I should hurry up. Uh, they think that I'm using the bathroom and I am using in the bathroom, but I'm not using the bathroom in the way, you know, like um, it was just like, I never had any experience of like, what, what having a functional life and drinking could look like. Um, but my career before I got sober was I was an audio engineer, which is a, I was a very good audio engineer when I could stay conscious at work. And that was the problem. And it, when you're unable to stay conscious while you're on the job, it really threatens your job security. Um, and so there were lots of times where I was just like, if only I could, you know, keep my job and continue to be as intoxicated as I want, wanted to. Um, and so my solution wasn't like, I need to stop drinking and I need to stop doing heroin. It was, I just need to inject a little bit of meth in the morning, right? <laughs> like that's the, the way that my brain worked. And it was really effective. And I never considered myself like a meth addict because I was just like, no, this is a functional thing. I do a little bit in the morning so I can get, you know, it's just like coffee that you inject that was made in a bathtub, right? Um, and so that like that was the kind of logic that was normalized for me. And like, I didn't have any frame of reference outside of that. Um, and so by the end of my drinking, like, um, cause there were, so, there were times where I would quit hard drugs and I would just drink and it still wasn't okay, right? Like I still couldn't drink like, um, like, a very good example of this for me was how disappointed I was when I went wine tasting the one time because I was like watching all these people taste wine and I was like I honestly don't give a shit about the taste right like and watching them like pontificate about like the notes and the flavors and all of that stuff and I'm like I fucking don't care uh this is very boring um just give me as much of the wine as possible and some chocolate and cheese like that's totally acceptable. But, you know, I also remember times when, again, just drinking, therefore doing better, um, where I went, um, I was, 
I was a little bit older um, when I went when I was doing my undergrad because I had taken breaks. Um, so I was like 22 and I went to a college party um, and I was disappointed at how little they drank at the college party. I brought a fifth of whiskey just for myself. And for some reason, uh, that was the equivalent of like uh, rolling a nat 20 on an intimidation check. And people were just like, why would you bring a fifth of wild turkey for just yourself? And I was like, well, because I was afraid that you would all be little bitches about drinking. I didn't say it like that because that's rude. Um, but I was like, oh, I just wanted to make sure I had all my bases covered. Um, and so it was like my relationship to alcohol, my relationships to substances other than alcohol could never have been described as normal or functional. Um, and so by the time I was 24 and I was ready to sober up, um, I, uh, I, I found AA right? Um, through a set of circumstances where a couple of friends of mine that were former drinking buddies or drug buddies had gotten sober in AA. And I was like, okay, well, clearly this, this there's something to this that is credible enough that I'm willing to go. Um, and of course, like you go to AA, like when you're new and like, um, there are a lot of things that really put you off. Um, one of the things is that like, it does feel like people are speaking a different language because they are, right? And there's like, uh, AA is, you know, a community-based uh, recovery methodology. And inside of that community, there's a lot of term terms that we use and put a lot of weight behind them um, that don't make sense outside the context of this organization or community, right? Like people will throw out words like restless, irritable, and discontented, or they'll throw out word, you know, phrase, just like phrases um, that mean a lot to people in AA because they have the context of how they're used in the big book to describe a condition that necessitates a drink. Um, and, but, you know, the, the longer we go on, the more archaic those phrases feel, and therefore the less accessible they are to people that are showing up. Um, and so, you know, I, I eventually learned the language. Um, I was not super comfortable in AA initially, as most people aren't. Um, some people are. Um, but one of the things that was different for me than some people that I've met is that some there are people that come into AA who have created a life and then their drinking got out of, out of hand and then they fucked that life up, right? And so their, their sobriety, especially their early sobriety is marked with like the reacquisition of things once lost, right? Like family, uh, you know, maybe jobs, uh, material possessions, self-respect, that kind of stuff, um, like emotional, um, psychological, emotional, like, uh, building yourself back up. And because I started drinking at 16 and never had any moments of like um, development, <laughs> um, like those types of developments, like milestones and shit like that. Like I, mine was just about the acquisition of that or like walking that path, um, which again, neither of those are like easier than the other. Um, they're just different experiences that people have. And like, I know that it, it's ironic to be non-binary and talking about a binary path, um, but I, I, don't, I don't care. Like, what are you gonna do, turn my mic off? Um, but <clears throat> no, no one turned my mic off. Okay, I'm, I'm still going. Um, 
so I got sober at a group in San Jose, California called Saturday Night Live. Um, I got sober at the midnight meetings at that group because that was the environment with which I felt most comfortable because people who choose to go to AA meetings at midnight are a very specific brand of fucking weird. And that was the brand of weird that I found most comforting when I was getting sober. Um, I, I was not comforted in meetings with people that had a lot of sobriety time. Um, it just, it wasn't something that I could relate to. You know, sometimes people will be talking about real adult life problems with at like, you know, 15 years sober. Um, and that, that kind of stuff didn't land for me. Um, and I was also still just forming my identity because again, at 16, um, I didn't have much of a sense of identity. And when you're forming that between the ages of 16 and 24, you also aren't doing that. Um, like if you're as intoxicated and far gone as I was. Um, <clears throat> so one of my first forays into that, uh, like that sense of identity was that um, my service sponsor was a gay dude, um, like, and he, he, he eventually became the best, best man of my wedding because I am married to a human who is uh, non-binary now. Uh, both of us have transitioned over the course of our ma marriage, which is kind of cool. I like that. Um, and so non-binary in San Jose wasn't really a thing. Um, for those of you who don't know that much about San Jose, um, it is functionally, um, it, I mean, Silicon Valley uh, takes up most of San Jose, right? Um, and that means that it is very expensive to live there. And for marginalized communities like trans people, um, that is sometimes harder to achieve. Um, like the, the like cis white gay men have been accepted into corporate America in Silicon Valley. Um, and that's not that weird. Um, which is great, like that is a good start, right? But I didn't have a lot of people to look up to as far as like gender expression. And, um, you know, as far as like, um, for me, sexuality, uh, cis, cis men are uh, the lowest tier of my attraction. No, no offense meant to any cis men, um, but that's just how it works for me. Uh, unless they're line cooks um, or have like some, or drummers, right? Like. Yes, uh, but uh, other than that, like um, going to LGBT meetings and participating in LGBT events meant that I was, you know, mostly surrounded with um, like the cis, gay and lesbian culture, um, which again, like those were my, those were the people that, you know, I, I learned from, um, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel a part of, especially because at the time I was uh, not, dating men. Um, and I'm currently not dating any, um, but that that's just how, how it is for me. Um, and so when that all kind of came to a head, I was working at a, a company, it was a startup, um, where I hated the owner of it. Like, and I still do. And I kind of like in my head, I'm like, if I found out that he died, it, like, that'd be sick because like he was, not a good person. Um, he like told us like his employees that he told him took his kids out of uh, 
school during Pride Week because he didn't want them to be exposed to gay propaganda. And so I didn't feel safe there at all. Um, it didn't pay all that well. He was a tyrant of a human being. And again, I don't hope, I mean, his business failed during the pandemic and I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> you piece of shit. Um, but anyway, I don't have any strong feelings about that, nor have I ever written about that on an inventory. Um, and so as soon as that job ended for me, I transitioned um, because um, I, I was ready. Um, my first, uh, and like, I bought, I'm also, you know, I, I came out as, you know, queer like way before that. And it was just a very easy thing. And like telling my family about it was not a problem because I had two younger sisters that had already come out as queer. And so it was just like, all right, well, you're three for three now, parents, like good for you. Uh, like all you, <laughs> you have three gay kids. Nice. <laughs> um, and so like, no, no one cared, um, which I consider myself very fortunate, right? Um, and I, I a thousand percent understand the, um, the issues with families and that kind of stuff. And I still have issues because like my, my family, aside from my two younger sisters, like understand, like if I had transitioned from being a, a man to a woman, they would have understood. And they would have been like, all right, well, we use she, her pronouns or whatever. And like, we now refer to you as our daughter. Like they would have got that. But like transitioning from like being male to like nothing, um, which I like to joke, um, I, because I'm, I went from being male to no longer male, I refer to myself as an X-Men. Um, I've never read the comics or anything, but it's, it's a fun joke. Um, and so, like, my, my spouse uh, was very in support, and strangely, <laughs> I transitioned at the same time as one of their partners, um, who was also transitioning. Um, and their partner had transitioned into more of like a gender fluid thing. And I was just like, no, no gender, um, you know, gender burger, hold the gender or whatever, human burger, the gender. Um, and I just felt like I, I was ready at that point and I had gathered enough information because there were times where like, I would go to uh, men's meetings before, before transitioning. And I just wouldn't fucking relate to masculinity, right? Like, I just wouldn't get it. And they would like, you know, make jokes. They would make like uh, microaggression, sexist jokes. And I just wouldn't get it because a bunch of people would laugh and they'd just be like, uh, you know, I, oh, I just bought a new chainsaw and like, don't tell my wife about it. And everyone's just like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> you know, like, what, what is this? Um, and, you know, some of them were like really good at examples of healthy masculinity and they would talk about stuff like um, true masculinity is the ability to be vulnerable, even if it's hard and shit like that. Like, and some of them were very good about that. And I, I do want to give it to them. Um, but, but there, were, there was that. And then like, I didn't res relate to the spectrum of femininity either, right? And the only like sense of um, identity I have with femininity is that um, by the time I was in my formative years, um, all of the Asian men in my family were dead. Um, and so all of the Asian stuff that I have going on is only from women, 
Um, and so I have jokingly referred to myself as a tiger mom sponsor um, and like <laughs> that kind of stuff. But that's, that's just where it came from for me. Um, and so when that all came together, um, I, I had to like really, I had to really look at um, where I actually fit in. Um, and that in conjunction with, like I've always been very active in the service structure of AA. Um, I was very active in general service when I lived in San Jose. Um, I eventually did uh, area level service as an officer and I'm currently doing, uh, <laughs> I, so <laughs> there's the, the grapevine, uh, which is the magazine that AA puts out as well as other books and things like that. Um, I'm currently on the board of directors. Um, and so I go to New York eight times a year and sit in these meetings with people and we talk about the direction of the grapevine. And um, yeah, I, I'm doing this for another, so I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing this for another three years um, and then uh, can stand for a position, like a general service trustee on the general service board position. Um, which I don't want to get into too much because it could be boring for non people that aren't members of AA and then people that aren't are members of AA but are uninterested in how the structure of AA works. Um, but it's kind of like one of the things that I really appreciate about it is that, you know, there are a couple of trans people that like work at the general service office or work as professionals for AA. Um, and, and so we all know each other, of course. Um, and like, and we get along very well. And one of the things that it is kind of cool is that the other people um, are very, very receptive to my input. Um, because I'm the youngest, like my the big joke that I say at any kind of event like that, like general service conference or general service board weekends is like, I'll be there, just look for the person that's visibly under 45, right? Like, um, because they're, I don't know, I don't think anyone else is under 45 actually that is on any of the corporate boards. Um, so I know I'm the first one, uh, well, the youngest one currently. I don't think there's ever also been one. Um, but I really like, I, I like the Grapevine publisher dude a lot. We get along very well. And in, we were in this board meeting um, where we were going around talking about the performance metrics of the AA Grapevine's Instagram page. and. Um, I was looking at some of the demographic breakdowns and one of the things that, you know, kind of caught my eye was like, um, because we were approving this report so that we could send it to the conference, the general service conference, um, so that they could look at it. And one of the things that caught my eye is that in the report, the way that the report was compiled is that it did the gender breakdown of just men and women. And I was like, I don't think we should do this um, if it's just going to be men and women breakdown because that doesn't include me at all um, like because I am neither and so the, and they were all very receptive to it and later that day um, I had taken the train to Coney Island just because I'm like I want to know what this is like I want to see snow like because it was snowing and I was like I want to see what snow on a roller coaster is like I'm from California I've never seen that shit um, and I get a call from the publisher and he's like hey um, I I need to know like what the best wording for this is. Like, how do I, because that data exists, but how do I actually put it into the report? And when they were talking about like the, um, 
the membership survey. They, they asked me questions about that. Um, and so I get to, I get to affect a change at a level that I never thought possible. And that's what keeps me interested in AA, um, is that I get to participate in this capacity. Because um, the other things that keep me interested is going to groups that have um, a significant amount of people in their first three years of sobriety. And the reason why is that there's no one in the rooms that gives a shit more than the people in their first three years. Um, and you hear these like very, very exciting things that are happening rapidly. Like, hey, I got my license back. Hey, I, my kids are talking to me again. Hey, like my parents gave me a key to the house, right? <laughs> like, hey, I got my first job. It fucking sucks. And I work at a sandwich shop. That was my first job. Um, but, but I'm employable. Like people thought out of all these candidates, you, you are one that is okay. Um, and we think that we want to give you money. Right, like that was such a weird experience for me. Um, and so, you know, like I do get that imposter syndrome a lot though, even today where um, I work at a very, very large tech company, um, which is super funny because I've never taken a computer science class in my life um, or a business class. Cause every time it was just like, why the fuck would I take a business class? Like, no. And now I work in doing business. <laughs> uh, and so I, I do feel like it is very strange that people who have uh, MBAs and people that have like all of these things, like take a, a look at me and they're like, you belong here. And I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, if you only knew, right? Like, if you only knew the potential of destruction that I could cause on myself, right? Um, but it's been a while since I've done that. And I haven't been perfect in sobriety in the slightest, right? Like, not even close. I've made so many mistakes. And like, that's not weird. Um, so I don't know. I, I do want to say, like, if you're newer and like, AA seems archaic, AA seems dogmatic, um, AA seems like those are those are valid criticisms. Like I don't I don't want you to think that like because you have those thoughts that you don't belong here because I've been here for you know close to a decade and I still have those thoughts. Um, and they're in some cases very correct. And there are people that give really, really shitty impressions of like the type of love and tolerance or the type of unilateral acceptance that our, you know, our literature actually describes. Um, and I think that unfortunately that can run people out of the rooms just in the same way that like the God thing can. Um, I don't particularly believe in God as in a deity. Um, I don't like to call it God because I'm just like, yeah, um, I don't, but I don't consider myself an atheist because I, I don't want to commit to the idea of there being or not being a God um, for me um, because I can acknowledge the possibility of it, of that. Like I believe that it's possible, but as far as a, a higher power that uh, cares about individuals that I don't, I don't know if I buy that one. Um, but I also don't want to discourage anyone from feeling that way, um, because there are lots of people that are like, oh, God's will, God's will, and alignment with wills, and stuff like that, and I'm just like, 
that doesn't land for me and that's okay, right? Um, like I kind of just believe that the universe is random chaos and that if we can make any sort of sense about it um, on a minute to minute basis, like then that's great. Um, but I don't think that there's actually a whole lot of sense to be made out of it because I don't think that we have the capacity to understand that sense, uh, nor be as detached as we should be in order to accept that. Um, because like if the you know largest plan for everything is that you know humanity is just on a collision course for self-destruction um, and that that's the plan, um, we wouldn't like that. And so I don't really want to know, and I don't care. And so I deal primarily with the material world because it's something that I can affect with my actions. Um, and I try to optimize those actions for the most amount of people. So that's all for me. Thank you very much. Wow. That was fantastic. Thank you, Corey. Um, hold on getting my stuff together here all right uh, i'm putting myself back in gallery view here thank you Corey, and thank you julianne and thank you marcia for asking me and kicking this whole thing off um, i would say if i had to pull a topic out of that fitting in uh definitely me fitting in was the biggest part of the biggest hurdle in my life fitting in i never felt like i fit in even from a young age i never felt like i fit in even around my friends that I liked and had liked me, I didn't feel like I fit in. I was on the outside, you know, and I've been trying to fight that whole feeling my entire life, even through sobriety. Um, I'm finally, I'm 55 years old and I'm finally at a place in my life where I'm kind of feeling okay. That's it. That's all I got, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm going to take that and run with it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah. All right. Um, thank you both to both our speakers. Uh, I'm going to wrap up our shares. We're going to let everybody know the next event is going to be on July 30th. Uh, we're going to have a trans couple with, a, and it's going to be here. Hold on, let me see what Marsha put here. A trans couple with a family will be sharing as well as gender fluid friend from down under. 